All right, welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. Again, 608-785-7914. People hitting buttons in the studio. Two days in a row. Thank you. Uh, all right, well, I was saying on the Facebook live stream, if you're listening on Facebook Live, uh, uh, in a couple of minutes we'll have Lacrosse School Board President Lori Cooper Stoll on the air. We're going to talk about the school resource officers and whether or not Lacrosse School District needs them. That's what they discussed Monday at a, a school board meeting. And the idea of, of having a school resource officer, I really, I don't. I, I do remember when I was in high school having one incident with the school resource officer. And uh, I got pushed into a door jam and the back of my head was bleeding. And I, I had to uh, had to talk to the school. Re- Other than that, I don't I don't even have any recollection of. Uh, I remember that guy being kind of goofy, but that's all. I never really not like we have conversations with those people. We're we're students, and if anything, we don't want to talk to them. If we'd never see that person, the better, right? And that's kind of that's probably kind of part of the thinking here is you know the the whole relationship with students and school resource officers, and, and are they helpful in there? And the the idea that are they more intimidating? Are they scary? Are they you know friendly? Are they a, a a bridge to being able to talk to police. Uh, how do how do kids perceive that? How do your kids perceive that? I mean, just looking back, how did you perceive the school resource officer? Um, he wasn't like the cool guy that everyone wanted to talk to, and, may, and and should he be? I don't know. What's the point of having him in there unless your school is is being overrun by students and you need police in there? Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. The talk and text line. So we're going to talk to the school board president, Lori Cooper Stoll. In just a couple of minutes. Before we get to that, uh, we, ni- another 20 cases today of COVID-19. That's the second highest amount of cases in a single day that we've ever had in La Crosse County by one, by one. Because yesterday we had 21 cases. So we're we're at 41 cases in the last two days. If you can't do that math, I can do that math real easy. And um, I think, what was it? This is the 19th consecutive day with a case. The 16th consecutive day with multiple cases, more than two, more than, or two or more, right? And how many have we had now? I, I, I wrote it down. I want to say there are, I'll just, I'll just pull it up. I got it. I got it bookmarked, but we've had just, you know, obviously since June, we've just had an influx of cases. It's gone a little bit crazy. And we're going to talk about this in the second half of the show a little bit. Kaylin Riley with Wisdom News is in on all these Lacrosse County health meetings, so she's going to come on and just kind of break down what the Lacrosse County Health Department has been talking about with these meetings. We've had 98 cases in June, so 98 cases in June, and for the rest of the pandemic, 77. I think that's the number. Is that the number? Uh, maybe it's 55. I can't do the math. Yeah, 55. So 98 cases in June alone. 20 today. 21 yesterday. This all kind of started with 15 cases on June 10th. And, you know, that was like the first like, whoa, double digits. You know, we hit double digits. We hadn't hit double digits before. And then the next day we had three cases. We're like, okay, 15, that was an outlier. It's never going to happen again. And then we went 8, 6, 10, 7, 21, and 20. Those are the last couple of days of cases. So uh, somebody's texting, how many deaths? There are no deaths. I don't even think there are any hospitalizations. 
at this point. So yeah, that's that's uh, awesome news. And, and if there were deaths, that's all we would talk about today. Is we had uh, the cross county death spreads running in here, giving me a, a note. 118. Did I not do the math right, Brad? Is that what I did? Oh, maybe I did. Uh, maybe I did the. You're you're right. I I must have forgot that. 118 cases in June. Go edit the story, Brad. <laughs> um, my my uh, formula must be off a little bit. 118 cases in June, and it's just it's just been one of those things that continues to kind of make headway in in the news because we haven't had this many cases before. But uh, uh, number three is calling in. Number three, go ahead. Good afternoon, Squire. Thank uh, you for taking my call. Yeah, we're back to that again, huh? <laughs> right. Be nice to the radio man. Anyway, the other day they give the ages of the people that were tested positive, you know, the yeah, young they, kids. They've actually they've done that most days, but the last three days, I believe, they can't keep up. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, with a young kid, they're bulletproof, they think. And I don't think... The way I see it is, I don't think the young people in their 20s go to get tested. So I was wondering if these people ended up in the hospital on their own, like an emergency ward or something. Yeah. Follow me? Yeah, except that uh, when they come down with the virus, they're getting tested. So, I mean... Well, I mean, you see my point where I don't think a 20-year-old is going to go in to be tested? On his own, I think he's got to get very sick, and then maybe go to the hospital, and they find out he's got it. Yeah, some people are are getting are, are asymptomatic. They don't even know they ever had had it. So, I mean, you could have had it yourself, and you would you would never know. Well, yeah, right, right. I think I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, why do why do some people just not even have any symptoms, and maybe they maybe they go through it without ever knowing, and other people, you know, it's death's bed. Literally. You gotta realize, we got to realize, I mean, a, a person in his 20s is a lot tougher than an old goat like me in his 70s, right? Right, and I think you're you're probably yourself probably staying a little bit more cautious where these 20-year-olds are going to downtown La Crosse and drinking. Well, I wasn't down 3rd Street shooting pool or throwing or shooting darts. No, not you. you know. Probably not. No, okay. Are, are you out at the beach though? Because those are closed. No, now. I don't. I don't <laughs> like the water that much. I used to. I used to be a river rat, but not anymore. Yeah, I hear you. A lot. Yeah. Another thing is, there's a lot of beaches between here and Brownsville too. Yeah, I mean, when they closed up the beaches, a lot of public or you know private beaches. The whole Mississippi is beaches, right? Well, what about that uh, Crater Island? Is that is that what that's called? I oh, wonder. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if like the DNR has got to go police that because I mean, is that international waters out there? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's, we... it's on the Wisconsin side. That's all I can tell oh, you. Oh, is it okay? Well, then, then I, I, it's fair game. I think fair game to uh, to go out there and and have at it. I should think so. It always used to be. Sure. Okay, hang in there. Yep, thanks for the call. All right, we're going to take a quick break. we got Brad doing the news. We'll come back with the school board president, and we'll talk about SRO officers as well as some other things. It's not like that's the only thing going on in in the school district, right? We can talk talk about a couple of other things. We'll be back right here on Wisdom. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone with me now, Lacrosse School Board President Lori Cooper-Stoll. She, uh, you guys had a, y'all had a, a meeting on Monday. Was it just a regular school board meeting, Lori, or was it, was it something different? It was actually two things. It was a regularly scheduled board meeting, um, followed by a workshop. 
a workshop. So what did you guys do, arts and crafts, or what does that mean, a workshop? That's a good question. Workshop meaning that it provides us some additional time to take up issues that um, beyond just a regularly scheduled meeting. So it's something that had actually, the workshop had actually been planned for some time, and we had a number of things on the agenda to try to work through. And that's why the YouTube video of your meeting is two hours long? Uh, well, Sometimes meetings are certainly shorter, um, but they can go longer. Yeah, I'm just giving I'm just giving you crap. I, who can? Well, I can't watch that for two hours. I got there's not enough time in the day. Although there is literally enough time in the day. Um, all right. So the big news coming out of that meeting is something that you you kind of brought up, right? The idea of having an SRO, a school resource officer in in schools, right? That's that that was kind of your thing that you brought up to the board. So about, I did um, as president. One of my responsibilities is to set. Um, the agenda for meetings. This is about the time of the year where we discuss the community service fund levy as part of our budget. Um, and within that budget, it includes uh, monies for the police liaison program. And that contract is, is expiring next June. Um, so with, we're right in line with our, our timeline to begin discussions about that, particularly because we vote on the budget in the fall. Okay, and uh, the and you you might just not renew that project uh, that that program that contract or uh, change it or th- these are just initial conversations. But you br- you brought up some interesting things. The fact that maybe maybe we don't need SRO officers, and maybe we don't, we don't. I think you you said that you have five of them within your school district. Yes. So the first SROs in our district came on board in 1993. That was one at each of the high schools, and then in 1999. Um, the district was awarded a grant and that provided for additional uh, police officers in the middle schools. And since that time, we've had police officers in the high schools and middle schools. Okay, and um, I, I guess why did you bring this up? Obviously, we could see the, the general notion there was, a, there was a, a murder in Minneapolis that sparked protests across the globe. And a lot of the, a lot of the talk is, is just reassessing what we have police officers do. And, uh, and, you know, is there, was there a, besides, you know, that, you know, very general, I don't even know if you, general is the correct term, but besides that, were there specific things within the school district that you thought, you know what, this, this is something that we, we might be able to renegotiate or reassess? Well, I think that it's, it's true that um, events in recent weeks have certainly um, sparked dialogue about the role of um, police and including in within institutions. Um, regardless, this conversation would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, the contract is up next year. Um, what I dialogue, of course, to is that it's something that's on people's minds. And I think this can be a more... Um, robust opportunity for people to provide feedback because it is something um, that is um, so uh, people are talking about in the moment. Yeah. Um, but regardless of that, it's a discussion that, that, that we need to have because, again, we need, we've got a contract that's ending. Well, and you, you, you obviously the school board president. Again, we're talking with Lori Cooper Stoll. Uh, you, you talk to students. Students email you. You, you, you have parents probably talking to you. What, what are parents saying? Maybe 
maybe not so much about the SRO officers at school, but about the problem with, you know, essentially racism in, in the school district. So, um, that's a big question. We, our, our school district is no different than any other school district or institution in that um, we have systemic uh, racism. So um, how that manifests in terms of the individual issues that people um, may reach out with certainly um, cover a wide range of examples of the ways in which um, that shows up. And certainly as a white person, I cannot speak authoritatively about that lived experience, but it is instructive and necessary for us to center those perspectives uh, in these discussions about um, about justice. Yeah, somebody's got to come to somebody. I mean, the students are... You know, whoever is feeling, you know, you know, these problems within the school, they got to, you know, either they come to you. They could also come to a school resource officer as well. Right. Like there's 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 got to be a communication line between students and faculty and uh, the school board and, and everybody. I would hope that there are open lines of communication. And I would say this, um, you know, the I, I think sometimes I think sometimes there can be confusion about the, the, the role of the school board as well, because we do have a particular governance structure. Um, so, for example, the school board does not have authority to engage in uh, day-to-day operations of the school district. Um, their job is to hold the superintendent accountable in order to, to do that work. So um, I would, I would there's probably a number of ways that um, that communication takes place, and certainly I'm not privy to all of that, but we certainly need to be as transparent as possible and open as possible in order to, um, again, center those experiences. I was talking before I brought before I had you on earlier in the show, just the, the idea that my from my experience, when I look back at my high school uh, career, which was a long time ago, back probably when the school resource office, back in 1993, that's when I started high school, uh, the idea of an SRO officer, I, I, I had to interact with that person once. Other than that, he was kind of a, a you know, like somebody I didn't want to talk to, we didn't want to affiliate with. And, you know, whether that was that guy in, in particular or just in general, a school resource officer, um, do, you, do you feel like maybe there's, there's a better avenue to bring somebody in that, that could take care of, quote unquote, problems within the school that doesn't have to be an SRO? So I think that th- this is one of a number of important questions that the school board needs to <laughs> get some answers to. Yeah. And I want to be clear about process here first before I respond further to that. So yeah. things come before the board first as information items, which is what happened at the board meeting this past week. Um, and then they would come forward as an action item. So, um, on the board agenda for our next meeting would be um, to see whether or not there is a consensus among the board to form a subcommittee to try to get to the bottom of some of these questions. And there are two overarching um, uh, issues, I think, that come out of that. So our district, for example, has said that the role of school resource officers include first and foremost relationship building and second, um, safety. So on the one hand, there's a fiscal question of this, right? So, um, you know, to my mind, even if someone is adamant about police officers remaining in school, as 
public servants who are responsible for being good stewards of the taxpayer dollar. Uh, I hope that um, even those folks would, would, would want us to ask some critical questions about whether what, what, um, what we get in return. Yeah, the benefit uh, of having them in there. Or a $250,000 contract. Um, because those monies, to your question, could certainly go towards um, other services or organizations. So trained crisis counselors, social workers, parent advocates, as just a few examples. So there's a fiscal question to this, a fiscal responsibility piece to this that um, I would hope anyone in our community would expect us to be asking questions about. Um, and there's uh, the other piece to this is, is a moral piece to this as well, which is to say that, um, you know, if, 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 if we believe that it's a safety issue, we, we need to take account of the fact that there is no compelling empirical evidence that shows that, that officers in schools make those schools safer but there's compelling evidence that they make them less safe for black and brown students. And um, while we may have individuals who work in our schools and those roles who uh, you know, may be amazing folks, it doesn't negate the fact that we, are going, that we have to take account of the role that police and schools play in the school to prison, the pipeline, and in this community, that's particularly important because we have such a high juvenile arrest record, and that is disproportionately comprised of students of color. Well, I so, think I think you gave yeah. a statistic. Was it ninety percent of students of of color are, are being suspended in the La Crosse School District? Actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that I actually want to clarify that that was an error on my part. So let me be as clear as possible on this. Okay. When we look at rates of suspension, what we find is that uh, that students of color account for over 65%. And if we look at our African-American students, they are five times more likely um, to be suspended than white students. Um, the, unfortunately, the outcome remains the same, which is there is a racial disparity there that we need to look at. And as I said in the board meeting, it, it's not that I want to, I'm not going to, as a social scientist, I'm not going to draw a causal link between something, uh, between those two points. Um, but I do think it is still worth noting that they run parallel, which is to say, it's one thing to say we have had officers in our schools for a very long time. It is also one thing to say we continue to have racial disparities in our schools at all times, and that there may be some correlation there that we certainly need to investigate, especially when our schools um, to equity, as we say we we are. So, so the sixty-five percent, what students of color are getting suspended sixty-five percent of the time? Is that? We look at, and as a professor here, let me pull my <laughs> let me pull my notes here. So, if we look at the rates of out of school suspension, what we're saying is that it's sixty five percent higher for students of color. And then, if we look within that in the that particular group for black students, the out of school suspension rate is five times higher than that of white students. Okay, 
that makes a little bit more sense. And then getting back to the uh, the idea of having SRO officers in the school, you also mentioned that the, there's no real requirement to train them specially to be in schools, right? Wisconsin doesn't, there's not any kind of special, hey, you're going to be in a school, so we're going to train you to deal with students. There's, Do I have that right? Yeah, I think there, um, there was only 11, there may be 12 states now um, that require or mandate uh, any formal specialized training for officers to, to work with students. Now, certainly school districts, and ours would be one of these, um, can um, provide professional development opportunities, can expect uh, participation in professional development opportunities. Um, the Department of Public Instruction has put out guidelines on what that might look like. Um, but that's different from mandating. And um, so as far as, in general, the training, SROs are trained first and foremost as police officers. So that training is going to look different for someone who may be coming at this work from a different field. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be fair to say. Yeah, so it's the idea if you're going to spend $250,000 on on having, you know, at this point it looks like you have five SROs and a, and a DARE officer, um, it would be maybe better off to train somebody to do exactly the one duty. They're like, we're going to have them in the schools or her in the schools. They're going to be doing exactly these things. So that makes sense. Well, and I, we, uh, and to be clear too, the, the, the school department, the school department, the school board has allocated um, monies as well within this fund for restorative justice. Um, initiative through the YWCA, system of care, so some diversionary measures. Um, but if we take system of care as one example where we've got some initial evidence to show that that's a successful means of um, keeping juveniles out of the criminal justice system, we have one person performing that role versus five officers. So, you know, um, Having some of these discussions allows us in communication with stakeholders in the community and in the schools um, to try to imagine some answers to these questions based on data that we already have collected in our community. I did, and we're talking with Lori uh, Lori Cooper Stoll, the uh, Lacrosse School Board President. One question that a texter has, has sent in. Um, when you talk about suspensions and, and SRO, we're talking about SRO officers and school suspensions. Are they related at all? Is, or is there a problem maybe with suspensions in, in, of them, them, uh, in and of themselves, you know, as opposed to the, there's the, it's not like an SRO officer is, is doing these suspensions, right? So I think this is why I said I think it's important not to attempt to draw a direct causal link here. Right. The point being that. Um, these things are happening at, at, at the same time, right? They're happening in tandem. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that every suspension is somehow related to an SRO. I will say there is data um, uh, to indicate that when it comes to particularly students of color in schools, where there are SROs, there is a highly, um, there's a higher likelihood that they would be ticketed um, or, or arrested. So there is certainly some data that has been um, collected that would speak to that. 
So this is why I say we need to be important and, uh, and be, be, it's important to be nuanced here. It's a matter of um, uh, coming at this from all angles. So we need to keep, we, we need to not lose sight of the fact that since racial disparities continue to exist in our schools, if there are connections to police and schools, particularly whether, you know, when we look at this high juvenile arrest rate, for example, and in our community, and that most of those arrests happen during school days, um, there are, there, it's not a causal link. There are obviously some correlations there that we need to make sure that we explore as we gather information. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, and this is all, you just brought it up Monday. So like, this is the start of the conversation and you got, you have essentially a year for part of this, but you know, there's other parts of this where you're like, you know, Oh, we're going to make everyone aware of this. So, so it it makes a lot of sense that, I mean, I mean, and we're throwing, I'm throwing a bunch of different things at you and we're trying to not have them too relatable, but some of this is, but I, I really appreciate you coming on. I know you said you have to go make supper for the, for, for the family. So I, I can let you go. (laughs) <laughs> thank you for ha- thank you for having me and opportunity to answer some of the questions. Yeah, about no, what the no problem. When's the, the next? The when's, thing, oh, the, yeah, go I'll ahead. Say, the final thing I'll say is school board meetings are public. So I encourage, we're streaming them right now because we're in the midst of a global pandemic. I encourage folks to, to tune in and be aware of what's going on. Yeah, and then they you just Google across school board and all your emails are there and everyone can email you what they think, right? Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Lori, uh, for joining us. Thanks. Have a good night. You too. All right. Ran a little late again. Interesting conversation there and, and just kind of an, an initial conversation. They're, they just started talking about this Monday, and I'm sure there's more more to be had as as they go on and continue these conversations. And maybe people will come forward and, and talk more about their experiences and, and how to change and, and adapt and, and you know refine everything that's going on. All right. We're going to take a break. We got Scott's Common the News coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I see a lot of texts. A couple of people are waiting on hold, and they they're gonna wait. Thank you for waiting. I told them, so they know it's not like I'm being mean. But uh, right now, Kayla Riley, Wisdom News, KQ98, and the Farm Report. Right? Did I get that right? The Farm Report. Yeah, you did. Right. Midwest Farm Report. The Midwest Farm Report is on. Okay, so Kayla, I just wanted to bring you on real quick because you've been covering all. I think you've covered all the Lacrosse County Health Department, like public. You know what? What are we the calling briefings these briefings that they do? Yeah, yeah, they're like I was just you know, like Zoom briefings, right? They're putting them online. We've we we don't even get to go to them anymore. We got to kind of call in or Zoom yeah. in. <laughs> and you've I know you haven't covered all of them, but I would say probably you know in the last at least month you've probably hit them all. But can you just give us an update on you know since we've had forty two cases in the last two days and you know what what Brad tell me? Oh, here it is, one hundred eighteen cases in June. What people have been saying or what the county health departments, you know, anything interesting that the county health department hit on today or what Monday was the other meeting? Yes, Monday was the other meeting when we saw the other surge. And Monday's was kind of an emergency meeting because, as you know, we were kind of getting stagnant on cases. The health department started originally with having these press briefings three days a week and moved it to two days a week, and then it was just one day a week. And this week was an exception where they decided on Monday that they needed to have a briefing. And that's when they listed seven beaches and businesses where there was a possible risk of exposure. And they say that 
they are going to be adding more business names to that list today on their website. In fact, in that video, they showed where you'll be able to find the information. And they also talked a lot about the compass that directs what we should be doing given the number of cases in the situation right now. And essentially, the health department said that they don't have the authority to put in a new order to mandate that we close down and go back to the way things were under the safer at home order, but they are recommending that we do that ourselves, that if we're going out to eat, that we do carry out, that we're continuing to social distance, wear face masks, everything of that sort. And they've even enlisted the state to help them go through these cases and do contact tracing. And it's something that our health director, Jen Rombalski, said she doesn't want to do because she wants to keep this local because who knows the area, the people best. But she said we've seen a 607% increase in our cases. So they've had to do something because they've just been overwhelmed. A lot of, a lot of the questions I get when, when I'm just talking about these numbers is, and maybe you know this or not, is testing going up as well? Like we're seeing more cases because we have more tests, um, but, or, or has testing kind of been, you know, about pretty steady lately? I mean, I think that's a fair statement, but you also have to look at the percentage of positive to negative test ratio and the number of tests that are coming back positive as a percentage of the tests being taken overall is going up. Yeah, it's taking up. They they do like a daily one. And yesterday it was 51%. Half the people that were tested yesterday tested positive. I think today that dropped significantly but still really high in, in the, the, you know, the test percentage. And they haven't listed that forever, but it was like at one and then it ticked up. And I think it's at 1.9% today. Yes, I think that's, I think you're right. I want to say that I wrote down in my notes quickly that is around 2%. And so it's one of those things though, where one case can quickly spread in a community and they're like this health department said they're trying their best. And one of the ways that they're trying to help prevent the spread is to know where people are going. And they did ask them to fill out a potential exposure form if they were at any of the businesses that had been listed. And they have 537 responses just from the businesses and beaches that they listed on Monday. So it'll be interesting to see once they update that list with new business locations, how many more people are going to come out and say, hey, I was there at those potential risk days. Yeah, it's crazy. If you think about it, in three days, 537 people have said they were at a, at one of these seven businesses, beaches, uh, two weeks ago. And that's just people that have ended up online to see the, you know, like sometimes, how, yeah. how, you know, like if, if like when I was in college, I wasn't reading the news. Like what? Social media yeah. has helped this. But the, the idea that 537 people in three days has, has come come forward to say they were one of these places is, is a pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, well, like you said, social media has helped, but a lot of the younger generation, I don't want to consider myself an older generation. I'm still in my 20s, but our younger generation, they're not on Facebook anymore. Yeah, And, and so we're going to have to find new ways of getting this information out to them because, like you said, they're not sitting around watching the 5 o'clock news. They're not scrolling Facebook. They're on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. So how can we get that message to a big part of this population that's being affected? Yeah, Jen Rumbalski health doing a La Crosse County Health Department meeting in 10-second increments on TikTok. Coming up a fr- uh, Friday, <laughs> uh, or uh, not on TikTok on Snapchat? I think TikTok Snapchat. you get it. You get a minute on TikTok. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. All right, Caitlin. Thanks so much for for stopping in and and just kind of giving us update. Thanks, Rick. All right, bye. That was Caitlin Riley with the news KQ ninety eight and the Midwest Farm Report. You can hear her all morning on all those stations. Wisdom News KQ. Super early. She's probably getting ready for bed. It's like almost six o'clock now.
Uh, she gets up, I think, at 3 in the morning. All right, so I, I got a couple of calls waiting. I'm going to get to those. Kent, I'm going to make you wait for a little bit because uh, I, I kind of want to stick to the uh, the COVID no, the COVID crisis here uh, at, at, at the moment. Um, caller, who, uh, caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, uh, so this is all hearsay. Take it with a grain of salt. But um, I was told the reason some of this stuff is starting to pop and these bars are getting closed is because a girl was diagnosed positive for COVID on Thursday. And despite having the positive diagnosis, went out to the bars to like a 21st birthday celebration on Friday. And then on Saturday went to like a huge party with a whole bunch of people, like 150 people. I heard this from one of the people who was at the party who said she was telling people, I tested positive. And they're like, well, why are you here? And the one of the people who was there talked to her dad, who is a you know connected person and sort of sound the alarm. But if anyone wants to look that up and confirm it, it's all hearsay, but it's starting to hit social media. So I'm not going to say any names, but it's pretty easy to search the social media. So the girl intentionally with the diagnosis was going out for two nights and, um, you know, interacting. So, so we'll just, we'll, I'm going to shake my fist and, and say, you damn whippersnappers. That's right. That's kind of, that's all we can do at this point. Well, well I, I'd say something stronger than that, but. Uh, I'd dump radio. you. I'd have to dump you. Yeah, all right. Thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, so there, there's one story. I, I, I will admit, I've heard, I've heard my sh- fair share of stories of, of uh, people and businesses not, you know, ha- not being safe and and having ex- being exposed and you know, the, and kind of the same deal. Like you can't really confirm it. You kind of ask, and and you don't get, you don't really get any confirmation from the people you ask, but. Uh, earlier in the show, so we're kind of doing two shows at the moment, but earlier in the show, we talked to the lacrosse school board president, Lori Cooper stole just about the idea of balancing, you know, the, the budget a little bit. There's a, there's a crisis. I I think, I think money is, is, you know, obviously thin everywhere. And, uh, a, a, a contract with the school resource officers is coming up in a year. And they're starting to have talks about whether or not the school board needs school resource officers or whether they could use that money to to do something more specific to help students, you know, uh, relate. Maybe they get a counselor in there, a social worker or somebody that where the where a police officer doesn't necessarily have to be that person. Right. That's kind of that's kind of this movement to, to defund the police, which is, I believe, a, a terrible term. Idea you defunding. I mean, when when people are like, "Oh, defund," that's it doesn't mean what you, what it says. And it's like, well, when somebody says defund Planned Parenthood, some somebody on the right says defund Planned Parenthood. Somebody on the left's going to be like, "What? No, you can't defund Planned Parenthood. What are you talking about? Like they do so many things for women." Well, when you say defund the police, that's kind of the same argument. Like, no, you can't. And then it's like, oh, oh, we're going to defund the police in certain regards because we're going to ask police officers to do you know, let, uh, uh, more specific things in, in terms of fighting, you know, fighting crime, right? And not having to be social workers and things like that. But Kent has been waiting very patiently on. And Kent, you, you kind of had some experience uh, a little bit in this. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, Rick, thanks much. And another thing I want to tell you to start off, when you start your show, you need to hire me for free. 
I'll come down to make sure all your buttons are on. <laughs> the buttons. The problem, right on the air. Yeah, right. And the, the problem is I got my headphones on, so I can't even hear the <laughs> buzzer outside the door. And I got the door closed. So, yeah, some the engineer walked in and, and kind of rolled his eyes at me. And I was like, I didn't know. So, yeah, thanks, Ken. Yeah, free. Uh, we're do, we'll do it social distance. So you'll have to clean the studio when you leave, though. No problem. Hey, anyway, back to uh, Lori, your guests there. I mean, I know they're all trying to do a great job, but I, you know, I'm retired. I work down at the uh, Boys and Girls Club at the Matthew Center, mm-hmm. and a uh, uh, young lady named Delane Swanson runs that show down there. And there's there's a lot of underprivileged kids that come into that that Boys and Girls Club and the Hamilton side. Yeah, um, I, I, Kent, I see those know, kids all the time because we play noon ball on the other end of that gym. Right on. So, I mean, um, Delane and her staff are excellent with these kids. You know, you got you got to remember a lot of these young people, the children. You know, they, their family backgrounds, white or black. You know, their their parents are in jail. Some of them don't have parents. They live with grandma, and they they use a mentoring system down there with these young kids. You know what's going on today, young man. You know, or young lady, or you you seem you're you swore. You know, but these young college students that work there, they mentor the kids daily, and they're so good with them. You know, they don't they don't need to call police. They don't. You know, I know it's tough in schools, high school level. You know, if people are threatening teachers or uh, violence, yeah, you probably need to call the police and have them come into the school. But um, just seeing these young college students who re- interact with these kids. And uh, Delane such a does such a great job down there, and, and as on the north side, you know that, that that's what these kids need. They need mentoring. They need someone to talk to them, you know. Yeah. And then find out what's going on, or how can I help you? Or I, I went through that when I was younger, you know. And, and just uh, to see these young people helping these kids out, man, it it really warms my heart. You know what I'm saying? So I think everybody needs to do that a little more. Yeah, definitely, Kent. Thanks, thanks a lot for the call. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, yeah, the idea of uh, you know, and talking to these kids like they're humans. You got to talk to them. You're not not so much like adults, but you got to you kind of got to you got to coax them. You got to coax uh, their feelings out a little bit because you know they're kids, right? All right, we're going to take a, a break. We'll be back after this on Wisdom. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk. PM. I'm just going to wrap up here real quick. Uh, don't have a whole lot of time. I appreciate Lori, Lori Cooper Stoll coming on and, and talking with us about from the lacrosse school board, the school board president, in fact, kind of giving us a, a little briefing of, of what they talked about Monday in terms of bringing to light the idea of having school resource officers in school or not. Libertarian guy and comes to, to, uh, to this, he said, people of color have more behavior problems related to trauma, not because of racism or lack of diversity within the school system, with that in mind, having school resource officers, teachers, principals receive education on trauma-informed care can make a world of difference to keep people of color as well as adolescents, problem behavior kids out of the criminal justice system. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big part of it, right? Training uh, training the right people and, and maybe letting police officers do police officer work.